Uh, I feel privileged, first of all, to be able to bring the Word to you. I also am re-upped most every week when I study, but particularly lately there's been a couple uh, very uh, well-known people that have renounced their faith, and that's why we need the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So uh, it's so important that we are putting God's Word in the place of the priority that He puts it. And He said He exalts His Word above His name. So when we go through the Word, this isn't just getting some information. What we're doing is we're hearing the inspiration of the Word of God that is a living and powerful. It's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. God's Word searches us like a light. And begins to show the things that he wants to heal, that he wants to correct, that he wants to make right. And it's his job to do that. So I tell the Lord, you know, you, you chose me, so I'm your problem. Okay? And he says, Here, here's the manual. And I'm not only going to give you the manual, I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to, continue, I'm going to communicate to you of my love. And as a parent... And as a grand, probably more as a parent than a grandparent, actually. We understand the importance of discipline. And so whom the Lord loves, he what? Disciplines. In fact, it says he scourges every son who is. So sometimes the work of the Lord through is, is not, it's not fun, it's painful, but it's always right. When we talk about love, redeeming love, that we're talking about in Ruth, it, this is a little micro story of the whole Bible. That God is a redeeming God. He loves us. As we'll look at this morning, he's guiding our paths. He's wanting to make us whole. He wants to make us whole. And boy, man, girl, woman, (laughs) however you want to pay it, is that fantastic or what? So that's why we get in the Word. And that's why we honor the Word. So I just want to read, to begin with, Ruth chapter 2, the first three verses, and then I'll pray, we'll look at it, we're going to take communion this morning, and then we're going to go and enjoy each other at the picnic. So in Ruth chapter 2, I'm going to just have you remain seated, usually we'd stand, but let's just stay seated and I'll pray. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, and the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi... Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and then again, who was of the family of Elimelech. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word that you've given to us, given it to us, and Lord, we have it abundantly. Whenever we want, we can tune into your word. We're here this morning, Lord, to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, the things I prepared, you break them fresh. Feed us, Lord, we are hungry. Grant to us, Lord, not only hearing, but hearing under your word. Hearing what you're speaking to us, receiving the engrafted word which is able to save our souls, which is able to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, which is able to keep us from sin, keep us on the right track. Whatever it is, Lord, you said to preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince. So, Lord, convince us. Rebuke, Lord, we're needed, rebuke us. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Lord, exhort us this morning. Please, we need you, we need your word, we need your spirit, 
And we're thankful that you have abundantly poured out all these things for us that we might know your love and grow in it. So please bless this now, I ask in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So the loneliest place in the world is the human heart where love is absent. That's the loneliest place because God has created us in his image as those who not only need to be loved but need to be loving. So understand that to begin with. The loneliest place in all the world is a human heart where there is no love. Now, some of you may be feeling uh, you need a little love this morning. We have the great lover of our souls who wants to do just that for you and for me this morning. A heart specialist is simply one who chooses to love. And Jesus is the greatest heart specialist that I know. So last week, we journeyed with Ruth and Naomi from the country of Moab back to Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise, is what that literally means. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and her two sons had all died in Moab. Orpah, her daughter-in-law, who had married Chilion, decided to stay in Moab. Ruth, who was married to Malon, her other son, so loved her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she vowed to never leave her side. So life now had taken its toll on Naomi. We read in chapter 1. She said to, as she came home, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, verse 20. Call me Mara, bitter. Pleasantness, no, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord has brought me back home again empty. Why do you call me pleasant? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So as she comes back, as she returns with Ruth, her people were so excited to see her. Is this Naomi? Been 10 plus years. Her people without but were concerned about it. Is this Naomi? She looks so different. Her countenance is so different. And she came back at the barley season, so her people are getting ready to celebrate. But what's happening is, as Naomi returns, she's a very different woman. There's no more celebrating in her soul. Or so she thought. Have you ever come to those places in your life where you think there's no more celebrating in my soul? (laughs) God's not done yet. Can you hear an amen? And so she thought that. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. There's no more celebrating left. This wonderful love story has a lot of dramatic turns. And we get one in chapter 2. It's the unexpected turn of what happens when this Moabite woman happens to come and meet Boaz. And so we're going to get these, in each chapter there's this, okay, we got to get to the next chapter. Did you ever watch Lost in Space, you who are old enough? Remember that? So you're watching the story and then, to be continued. <laughs> and as a young, I, I don't know, I was probably 10 or 11, it's like, No! Now I look at it and go, that's the stupidest show I ever saw. (laughs) Danger, danger, you know. This is different. Can you hear an amen? So three things we're going to keep putting up there. Number one, Ruth came to the field of Boaz. Secondly, Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz. And third, Ruth was family in the heart of Boaz. This is understanding redeeming love. 
Three key words. Field, favor, and family. Now, these three key words are all introduced to us in the first three verses of the book of chapter 2. But then they are dispersed throughout the whole chapter. And get this, all three are only found in chapter 2, except for one, one exception. And that is in chapter 4, verse 5, where it says one time, by the field. Now, we're going to talk about this in chapter 4, but Jesus gave a parable in Matthew 13, 44. He said this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has that he might buy the field. So you can sort of register that somewhere, read it, and think on that when we get to chapter 4, which the main thing there is redemption. So Ruth came to the field of Boaz, and Boaz means standing in strength. It means distinguished and honored. It means a warrior. A mighty man of valor, this, this, de this definition, a mighty man of valor, capable, effective, and worthy as a warrior. A mighty man of valor was spoken of about Gideon and Jephthah, both. And it's very possible this whole story that we're reading took place during their time in the book of Judges. So Boaz is a great man of wealth, but he's much more than that. He is a man of proven godly character. He lived an exemplary lifestyle. And we get a few of these through the Bible. Think of Joseph and Job. Now, David's son Solomon was so impressed with his great-grandfather Boaz that he named one of the two main pillars of the temple after him. Let's read it in 1 Kings. Then he set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called its name Jachin, which means he shall establish. And he set up the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz, which means standing in strength. So he's so impressed with his great-grandfather, Boaz. These twin pillars of cast bronze were at the entrance of the temple. They were declarative. They were not structural. They were pillars of witness to God, as it says there, he shall establish and he stands in strength. And he was so impressed that he named Boaz one of those pillars. Now, what it pointed to was the God who inhabited the temple. It declares his strength. It declares, it says there, his, he, he is the one that establishes. And if he's not in the temple, the temple is pointless. Now, God's people forsook him. And they fell into judgment because of it. And so, in 587 B.C., Jerusalem was defeated. The temple was, was destroyed. And those two pillars were melted down and taken to Babylon as just scrap metal. Because really, unless the God who it's pointing to, is alive and living, they're pointless. So Ruth, verse 2, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please, let me go to the field and glean heads of grain. So she is already, they just get back, she's, hey, I got to go out and work for you, for us. And she says, after him in whose sight I, might find, I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now there's a contrast here. Stark. Boaz Standing in strength, wealthy, distinguished, honored. And here's Ruth gleaning in the fields, poor, 
and a stranger and an outcast. She's gleaning the field. She asked to go and glean to get food for them. In other words, she's accepting her poverty. Why? Because she's with Naomi. Poverty meant nothing to her. She's with Naomi, as we saw last week. She said, wherever you lodge, I will lodge. She hoped to find favor in the gleaning. So she understood God's work there. She understood God's laws concerning how he wanted the poor to be taken care of. That's the heart of our Redeemer God. So the law expressly allowed for the poor, that is, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, the right to glean in the fields, and this is God's way of taking care of the poor, notice, while preserving their dignity. That's what was going on here. He gave them the opportunity to work for what they were receiving. In other words, their entitlement was working. And we need to understand that. There's a dignity that comes when I work And I receive because of my work. That's dignity. That's human dignity. Not an entitlement that I'm owed all the... But rather the entitlement that God's given is to work and understand that that's very valuable. Not only to God, but to our souls. To our souls. So Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land to his people, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. Notice, I am the Lord your God. I'll take care of you if you'll do what I'm telling you to do. Deuteronomy, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you forgot the omen, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. The Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. I'll take care of you if you'll do these things. I'll more than take care. I'm going to bless you. Deuteronomy again. When you beat your, your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widows. He goes on. Oh, no, he doesn't. Okay, he doesn't. Okay, we miss one. <laughs> so understand this. Understand redeem. Understand this. Redeeming love will care about those that God cares about. Redeeming love will care about and take care of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. That's what, that's what redeeming love does. Because through that, God begins to redeem them. In the many ways that life has beaten them. So she understood not only that, 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 that God's, God has this work fair, if you will. She also understand that there are good landowners and there are not so good landowners. So the privilege of collecting grain in someone's field was up to the landowner. He could, no, you're not coming here. You're not going to be on my fields. Some were generous and some were actually hostile to that whole idea. So Ruth is hoping to find a favorable landowner. And so she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, here it is, of the family of Elimelech. That's important. So Ruth happened to come. May I say this? She happened to come by divine directive. That's how come she came to that. 
If she never happened to come, there would be no Obed leading to the lineage of Jesus. If she had never happened to come, the prophet Micah would have been wrong about Bethlehem. If she never happened to come, Joseph and Mary's trip to Bethlehem would have been a lot easier. If she never happened to come, the shepherds in the fields by night outside Bethlehem would have never seen the heavenly hosts. If she never happened to come, Herod would have never been troubled in hearing about the birth of a king. If she had never happened to come, the wise men would have never tracked the star. But you see, understand that God's prophetic word lays out his divine directives in which his plans of redeeming love have never, have not, and never will be thwarted. God is the one directing the plan of his redemption for the whole world. That's what's going on here. Ruth was just going about what she needed to do, and that was work. God is directing her. By the way, GPS is not new. <laughs> Ruth was being directed by GPS. What is GPS? God's positioning secrets. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> In other words, God is faithfully guiding supernaturally in very natural ways. And when you all of a sudden see that, you go, wow, that's amazing. Proverbs 16, 9. A, man, a man's heart plans away, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalm 90, Psalm 90, verse 9. This is part of it. Moses' psalm. We spend our years as a tale that has been told. Now, we get so excited. We get, wow, look at that. Look what God did. I was just thinking I got to get to California, and God had this plan to get me to Costa Mesa or whatever it might be in your life. And you look back, as Paul said, God who called me from my mother's womb, when he, God who, who called me from my mother's womb, all of a sudden then he revealed his son to me on the road to Damascus. Paul's looking back and saying, wow, God had a plan from my birth. It's fantastic. And we look back and go, wow, that was so amazing. But for God, it's just instant replay. You know, you watch a football game, and there's this, or I, maybe we call it the Mariners, you know. Mariners, 1995. Edgar Martinez up to bat. Ken Griffey's on what, first? You're thinking it, you're seeing it, you know, and you're watching it, and you go, woo, and all this stuff. Wow, wow. That's what God, it's, as a tale has been, God's looking at his instant replay. He doesn't get it. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's how God sees it. But when we see it, isn't that fantastic? She happened to come to the field of Boaz, the one belonging to, who was of, notice, the family of Elimelech. That's an important point we'll see in a moment. You see, Ruth was not in Boaz's field by chance. She was there by divine directive. She was not there by accident. She was there by appointment. And do you look at your life as one that's in God's hands? And so what's happening in your life, we want to be conscious that God's around and in it all. 
In him we live and move and have our being. He's appointed our boundaries that we might know him, Acts chapter 17. You see, I cannot understand God's mysterious ways by which he guides me to his desired haven. What I can understand, can, is that God in his love is faithfully at work in me and with me and for me. That's what he's doing. And for that, I'm humbled, I'm thankful, and I'm at rest, knowing that he is the one who loves me such. So verse 4, she found favor in the eyes of Boaz. Now, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And the answer, the Lord bless you. This is a godly man to bless his, his reapers as he did. Boaz had his eyes, has his eyes on all his God-given responsibilities. Ruth found favor in those eyes. He had his eyes on his family and his home. He had his eyes on his business and his workers. He had his eyes on his community, the poor, the fatherless, the widows, the strangers. He had his eye on all of that, knowing that he stood before God in how he lived his life. And understand this, as Christians, we are called to follow Jesus as his servants. When we stand before God to give account for our lives, the rewards will be, be on our faithful goodness in following him. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've heard so many, myself included. That's what I want to hear. You see, titles and letters attached to our names, diplomas that bear our names, mean very little to God. A good and faithful plumber will out-reward a lazy and faithful pastor. Jesus said in the parable of the ten minus, he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. You were faithful, have authority over five cities. This life is not so we can go and sit on a cloud and play a harp. This life is in preparing us for what happens in eternity. And it matters. And so understand what you do is not as important as why and how you do it. Are you loving God by growing in faithful goodness? Are you loving God by growing in faithful goodness? Look what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Not that I've already attained, I'm already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, I forget those things. He goes on, therefore let us, Notice, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. In other words, there's always room to grow. 
always. There's a need to change according to the truth of God and by the power of God. And if there is no change, there's no growth. Anything that's growing is changing. There's no change, there's no growth. And if there's no growth, let me say this to you, it's a slow death. That's what's happening. So there is perfect maturity to which none of us will attain. Paul's, I'm not, you know, not that I've already attained. Paul knew there's always room for him to grow. How did he do that? He said, first of all, I can't do anything about the path. Forgetting those things that are behind, I'm pressing forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is a relative maturity in each one of our lives from which we press on. The fact is we all have a measure of truth that we are responsible in growing up. It's relative maturity. So I have to understand that I am to grow up in love, in being a loving husband, a loving father, a loving grandfather, a loving pastor, a loving friend. It's love. The fruit of the Spirit is love as I abide in Him. So with my eyes fixed on Jesus, I want to be good and I want to be faithful. I want to lay hold of what, in whatever field it is that I'm laboring. It might, be at, it might be in a department store. It might be out building a house. But in all of those places where you and I are given these fields to work in, to labor, that's where we begin to glean what's important, what's going to sustain us, what God's given to us, what I walk away with. And as I walk away, I can bring that into, the, into my home or whatever it is, and it becomes a goodness and gratitude. That's where we're growing. And understand this also. That's why we need to love one another. That's why we need to love one another. On our wedding program, was one, of, one of these quotes, one of our quotes was, by loving or refusing to love me, others hold the potential of my maturity in their hands. It's the people that love us that help us to grow up. It's the people that love us that are with us so we can grow up. It's the people that are for us even as God is. And they become God's eyes and God's ears and God's mouth so that we can begin to mature. We need the love. And this, that heart that doesn't have that is an empty. And I hope this morning that you'll receive at least in part that God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He wants you to know his love, but then he also wants to bring into your life others, as we talked about last week. When Boaz saw Ruth, he inquired about her. Notice verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servant, who, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now, is this a kind of infatuation, like love at first sight? I'm smitten? Personally, I don't think so. Ruth was new, and Boaz was a mature, caring man. I believe Boaz knew the poor who gleaned in his fields. In fact, I believe he knew them by name. Here's this new woman. Who is she? I haven't met her. And so he asks his foreman. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. 
Now, she, first of all, she asked, but then she actually came and did it. You know? So she came and has continued from morning till now, though she rested a little in the house. She got tired because she's a hard worker. So it's, what's the servant saying? That's the Ruth that we've heard so much about. Boaz seems to almost, seems to almost interrupt his foreman. Say no more. I know all about her. That's her. That's the woman. So Boaz said to Ruth, turns to Ruth now. It's like he says, okay, I'm done talking to you. I want to talk to her. <laughs> you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Now, this tells me this. Have I not told, commanded the young women not to touch you? I believe that in Boaz's work fields, none of all the men were told the same thing. That word means to, to uh, strike or molest. Part of working for Boaz is you treat the young women right. So you come here. Don't look to other fields. You just be, you'll be safe. You'll be secure. Stay close here. So as Ruth listened to Boaz, she's caught off guard by how much, how gentle and tender and caring he was. He said, daughter, which is referring to the age difference. Very tender. I love this. She fell on her face. Bowed down to the ground. She is so caught off guard. And she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? I'll tell you why he took notice of her because this foreigner was family. This foreigner was family. Now listen to this 85 verses in the book of Ruth. 69 of those 85 verses contain family um, names, like mother, father-in-law, mother-in-law, relative. And then in those, also you have specific names. Elimelech, Boaz, Naomi, Ruth. And so I did a little figuring, and what I found 185 times, not including the pronouns, we get these, these, these uh, family terms in the book of Ruth. It's packed with family. Why? Because redeeming love is family. We are redeemed into family. It's the essence of God's whole structure socially is family. It's like Boaz says, how could I not take notice of you? It says, and Boaz answered, verse 11, which literally means he raised his voice. In other words, Boaz is not speaking, kind of, I don't want anyone to know this. He's saying to everyone, unashamed, identifying with Ruth here. She's, he's honoring Ruth. He raised his voice and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law. Since the death of your husband and how you've left your father and your mother and the land of your birth 
and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Boaz is saying, I know how you've loved our family. The Lord repay your work, verse 12, a full reward by, be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. I not only know how you've loved our family, I know how you love our God. It's our God. In fact, I know how you love your God. This is a vivid idiom, speaking of trusting God, of trusting him as our protector. Psalm 36, 7 says this, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Again, in Psalm 57, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Oh, how we need to know that place of refuge and safety with God. It's interesting, this word wing shows up again in Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, take, she says to Boaz, take your maidservant under your wing, for I am a close relative. We'll get this, but it's very substantive in the story. So Ruth listens to Boaz. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight. Why have I? Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. No, Boaz saying, you're much more than a maidservant, your family. Your family. Now Boaz said to her, so he's, now he not only your family, but he says he's going to make sure that Ruth knows just how special she is. That's family. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, now it's mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and I think as she did, Boaz just got a big smile on his face. And as she sat down, he passed the parched grain to her. Again, completely identifying with her as family. Loving her, caring for her, honoring her in front of everyone. No shame. This is Naomi's uh, daughter-in-law. This is the one who's part of our family. This is the one who loves our God. And I want you all to know that. Yes, she's poor. Got it. Yes, she's widowed, got it. But let me say to you, she's family. And then I think <laughs> he passed apart, and she ate and was satisfied and kept, back, and kept some back. So she's thinking of Naomi the whole time. She's enjoying it, but she's got Naomi in her heart to enjoy it with her. And she'll bring, as we'll see, she'll bring this back to her in a moment. So Boaz also makes sure that all of her labors would be exceedingly fruitful. This is what Jesus does for us. The same thing. He identifies with us. He, uh, he wants the world to know how much he loves us. He wants the world to know how much we're a part of his family. Though we're poor and strangers and outcasts until we meet him. He says, your family. Your family. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for it. Now can you hear the guy... Oh, okay, I'm going mean, it's to. Just, it's just beautiful what he's doing. He's wanting her to know that he's going to make her life abundantly fruitful. Verse 17 So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, about 30 pounds. Then she took it up and went into the city. 
And her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back. Remember that? She kept back. Oh, and I, by the way, I saved some for you, Naomi. So here, Ruth goes home. She's blown away. And then she wants to blow Naomi's mind. And that's just what happens. You know, as your mind is blown by God's love, you want to go blow someone else's mind by showing, this is what God's done. This is what God's done for me. And all she has to do is show the evidence. And her mother-in-law said, where, I think, where in the world have you gleaned today? Where in the world did you work? Blessed be the one who took note. No, she's saying, this is beyond anything you could have done by yourself. Who was it? Who's the one who took notice of you? So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Stand in strength. Now, was Boaz physically working with her? I believe that that's very possible. But even if not, if not with his hands, certainly Boaz was with Ruth in her heart. That's what's going on. So the question I put here is, what is the testimony that you bring home after work? Do you come home drained and grumpy and irritated? Or do you come home full of the blessing and goodness of God that you then say, you can't, you're not, I mean, the evidence, and you go, what happened today? What happened at the job? What happened? You see, to come home with an overflow of joy and gratitude, we must understand first, it's not where we work, but with whom and for whom we work. And some of you say, amen to that. You should see the nuts I have to work with. You should get a hold of my boss. You'd understand it. See, the key is not who you labor with with your hands. The key is who you labor with in your heart. That's the difference. Who you're working for, really. Who's really the one that's your boss? Who's really the one that you have your attention on all through the day? Who's really the one that you're thinking about and meditating with and speaking to throughout your day? That makes all the difference. Colossians 3 says this. Colossians 3 says this. (laughs) Let me read it to you. (laughs) Whatever you do, work at it with all your what? Heart. As working for who? The Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. There it is. Now, Ephesians, Paul, again, same writer, same, some of the same. Bond servants, that's employees. Be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of what? Heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Let me say, I found God's a lot easier to work with than most people. But as bond servants of who? Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Next. With goodwill, doing what? Service. We're serving the Lord as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, 
He will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. God's going to reward that. Good and faithful. A faithful goodness. And you masters, bosses, owners, do the same thing to them. Treat them just like you want to be treated. Giving up threatening. Interesting here. Some of you are owners. Some of you are bosses. Some of you are overseeing people. He says, give up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. God doesn't grade on the curve. So number one, you have to know it's not where you work. It's with whom and for whom you work in your heart. Secondly, listen carefully, you can't do it on your own. When Ruth came back, who? who? Who's responsible? What happened? Who was helping you? Let me say, the Lord my God was helping me. You can't do it. It must be from the overflow of abiding in his love, of meditating on his words, and of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. I can't do this. On, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Be being filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's following being filled with the spirit. And so verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed is, be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. So here's a hope that had been long lost that returns for Naomi with an exclamation point. Blessed be he of the Lord. Naomi said, we're blessed. She's saying, this is good. The Lord was with her. The Lord was blessing her. The Lord was protecting her. The Lord was rewarding her. And now she's seeing it because of what Boaz did in, in, when Ruth met her. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation. Now, that word is different than the one we'll get in a moment. This word relation means a near kindred or an ally or a neighbor of ours. Then it says this, one of our close relatives is a different term. It means kinsman redeemer. So he's one of our kindred. He's our kindred, but he's also one of our close relatives. Kinsman redeemer. So the Lord gave Naomi Ruth, and then the Lord gave Ruth Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. So Boaz is, our, is a picture of our greater than Boaz redeemer. His name is Jesus. So to recap, understand what Boaz did. He took notice of her. He initiated the relationship with her. He spoke to her kindly. He comforted her. Second, understand what Boaz said. Stay close. Stay close. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will take care of all you need. You just stay close. And then understand who Boaz is. <laughs> Standing in strength. And how we need the strengthening hand of our God. Underneath the everlasting arm. My arm was made strong under the mighty hand of God. He stands in strength. He's a relative of the family. Jesus, the Son of God, became human. He's as much God as though he's not human, as much human as he's not. He became part of the human race. And Boaz also was one 
of our close relatives. He's one, but he is not the first one. The first one we're going to meet soon. And so, to be continued. <laughs> Verse 21, Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they've finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. So several months. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law to be continued. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.